0: Welcome to the 7investing.com podcast. Our mission at 7investing is to empower you to invest in your future. We do that by providing a ton of free educational content like this podcast and by offering a monthly subscription where our team of advisors provides our seven best ideas in the stock market each month for just $17. Um, Talked about the free educational content we like to provide. And one of the ways I like to do that is to talk to smart people that are investors, business owners entrepreneurs. And so with that, um, I asked Howard Lindzen to come on the podcast. And you probably know who Howard is. But uh, in case you don't, just from his Twitter profile, he is a general partner at Social Leverage. He's a co-founder of StockTwits. He created uh, Wallstrip, which was um, acquired by CBS. And he is a uh, a serial tweeter that uh, makes me crack up all the time with his tweets. So Howard, thanks for
1: being here. It's good to be here. Listen, if I can be known for making people crack up, my life's work. I was so inspired by people to crack me up. If I think yeah, about it I as, as a lonely, weird kid, Dave Letterman, Johnny Carson, um... I guess when I got older, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, you know uh, Gary Shanling, just cracked me up.
0: That's that's one of the things I've I've really appreciated uh, about following you on Twitter, Howard. I mean, I've learned a lot from you just from kind of stuff you share. But uh, it it's nice to to find people that can make you make you laugh, especially during times like what we've all been through for the last I don't know six eight months or however however long
1: it's been um yeah my only unique perspective and i put my foot in my mouth a lot is if my timing's off because what do they say you know it's misery plus time or horror plus time comedy sometimes it's just not the right time to drop something some things you know hitler there's never funny right nazis is just it's hard to it's hard to just go there um but pretty much anything else in the world is fair game it seems um and it's dangerous. That's the little, the, the only dangerous thing I do. Yeah. It's silly. It's, and it's, you know, it's only dangerous to my reputation because I get crazies that I disagree with everything I say. Um, but it's, it's, I guess it's a form of giving back. Uh, I get such great feedback from, from making people spit out their coffee or whatever, because they're not expecting financial advice to come with uh, irreverence and a bad attitude. Yeah. And sarcasm, which is not always I'm not a professional comedian, so it falls flat 50 percent of the time, maybe less. But like there's always somebody offended.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, finance and investing is is super boring. But speaking of uh, danger, you burnt your thumb yesterday. Uh, how's it? How's it doing?
1: <laughs> it's good. I, I asked Twitter and, you know, uh, I didn't rush to ice because I don't think ice helps, but uh, from previous uh, burnings, but I put toothpaste on and someone said, put toothpaste on and it totally worked.
0: I saw that. I, saw, I was going to ask you about that. If the tooth, it looked like the toothpaste actually worked. Who who would have known?
1: Yeah. Someone said to stick it somewhere else and I didn't do that though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, so this is
0: kind of an investing related um, question, but you also have been doing I, I like watching your Q and A's and your live streams and stuff. You've been doing uh stitch fix box openings and um, they report earnings here pretty soon. And, uh, and I think there's been some funds that have been buying stitch fix. I've never yeah. been super bullish on the company just cause I couldn't get behind the, uh, like the business, the unit economics. Um, but first of all, how do you like it? It, it? From what I've seen, you have not had the best experience necessarily yeah. with your choices
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm always trying to find things that have a good story, because in order to be a multi-billion dollar company, you have to have a great founder, you can tell a great story, but you got to have a great business, which you just said, and I'm that suspect, and that's why the stock is lagged as an e-commerce company, right? So you hate buying the last e-commerce stock, which a lot of people want to do because, oh, you know, play catch up. So, There's a reason it's a $2 billion company. No, not to knock a $2 billion company, but I'd love to find, you know, two to $5 billion companies on their way to 50 or $10 billion companies on their way to a hundred. And that sounds crazy, but in the world that we live in and the inflated asset world that we live in, that's, you know, that's what brands can be worth, you know, these global brands. So, you know, in a new paradigm, I hate that word too, but in a market where rates are zero, and money printing exists, and a customer base is global, and and government is always a wild card and remains the wild card only, but that's the only wild card right now, Uh, and you've had a pandemic to stress test so many companies, Um, we're going to see many more, 100 to $500 billion companies, period, And end of story. Um, That makes it hard for public companies under 10 billion that don't have a growth model that are just asset-based or yielding, you know, lower RI. People want growth. And so Stitch Fix is interesting because it's interesting, right? Like getting my clothes, you know, I have this fashionology index and I'm looking for another company. So I have a fashionology index, restoration hardware's in there. Nike's in there. I guess Adidas should be, but isn't. Under Armour isn't. But, um, Nike, Peloton, um, uh, and I'm always looking for, that's been Lulu, and that's really where I, I feel like I wear clothes, I'm 55, I'm shaped like a pair, I have clothes problems, we all work from home, you know, nobody wears suits, department stores are out. So there's this whole new category that combines technology and fashion. It's a very American thing. Uh, they call, it, even Lulu calls himself athleisure. I prefer to call it fashionology. So, so, so I'm looking you know for a next company to add to that thing. so i'm constantly trying to think you know it's without stretching the peloton is it really fashion not yet but i think it will be so it's in my index yeah. and it's in my portfolio so so i've been looking at you know real real i've been looking at stitch fix i've tried to own a few times i've been stopped out um and Farfetch, which is a stock that i'm long right now ftch which is you know an eight billion eight to $10 billion company. It seems to be the clearest of the three between real, real Stitch Fix and Farfetch seems to be the one that makes the most sense. You know, Amazon's trying to copy them, which is good. Uh, it's not good short term, you know, because of oh, the Amazon overhang, but Farfetch has got a platform that will allow um, high end kind of uh, fashion-y Brands to use their platform to reach a larger customer base, kind of like Etsy for high fashion. So, I think you know, I'm constantly looking for those kind of things. And then I have my eight to 80 list, which is companies would graduate to, which Lulu has graduated to, and actually Peloton at some point may graduate to, uh, which is companies that have customers that are eight to 80 years old. So, you know, Google. Uh, Facebook, even Bitcoin's in that list because of the brand. Um, uh, Zillow, uh, Zillow's not, up and comers on that list are Zillow, uh, Peloton. uh, But on that list, Lulu, Nike, uh, McDonald's. So brands, you know, I want to find the next potential eight to eighties, and that's more beta in that portfolio. It's kind of what you guys do. And then I want to find eight to 80 brands. And when the markets are good, I'm really focused on these, companies that could become eight to 80. And when the market's really bad, I generally refocus on the eight to 80 brands that have pulled back 20 to 30%. And those are the brands that everybody rushes to in a bear market. Um, So it's kind of, you know, that's kind of, you know, where uh, where I swing.
0: I, th- I think I'm sharing my screen now, Howard, but um, yeah. you mentioned your, a couple of your, por- and this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about is. Um,
1: That's my just, eight to 80 uh, portfolio. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is uh, just some of the different tools you use. And I know you're a big fan of Koifin. So while you were talking about I'm an it,
1: figured- investor. So yeah, I'm a big fan. I think it's one of the best I've been doing this for 20 years as an individual or retail investor. I call myself and I ran a hedge fund including, and for a long time, this is the best product I've ever seen for, a beginner or an expert investor, you know, yeah. other than a builder
0: So, so I, I get, and I can share these out with everybody. You've shared these links out yeah. to your uh, eight to 80 and then your, the Howie yeah. portfolio as well, but it's a pretty cool um, function here. You can create um, portfolios and then share them out with people. So for yeah. anybody, anybody that's wondering, this is, this is the eight to 80, portfolio that uh howard yeah. was talking about the newest
1: uh, the new you can pull it back out so we can walk through how i think nope. so in, in, and i have a free blog that people can go to where i talk about when i add a name to something as big as the 8 to 80 lesson i think in april i added zoom at around 120 bucks i know it sounded crazy and it's a silly it's up like 400 percent in the yep. last few months but occasionally happens right i added it holding my nose saying, listen, Zoom is now a brand that eight-year-olds are living on and 80-year-olds are living on. If you look at Shopify, it's the same thing. Whether people know they're using Shopify, they're living on it, uh, and, and it's growing. Netflix, we all know. Spotify, I added recently as it broke out from 160. That is a, a brand known around the world. Uh, so they have to be profitable. I would have loved to have added Tesla at a, at a sooner press. I think the brand... Uh, is going is a global brand, but, you know, profitability is sketch. Um, and, you know, I am an old person, so, and I don't use Tesla. So Tesla's cost me the most money of all the stocks, because if I just bought one, I'd probably be rich because I would that's have. interesting. Bought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love McDonald's. So that's helped me own the stock. I love uh, Apple and, you know, AirPods, you know, and Spotify. I live on that's helped me own it. But Tesla as a non-user, that one really hurt me. But anything here from Bitcoin uh, to Lulu, I live with these products. The only one that I don't is the medical device. I think everybody should have exposure to this sector. And because it's so hard for me to pick individual stocks within this sector, because I don't really understand medical, but in a world world that people have wealth and want to live longer, this is like a no brainer. Less risk, these companies make money in the medical device. Uh sector. So, so again, I'd like to focus on this list when stocks are when the markets are down 20%. So these all these stocks were tremendous buys that I was writing about in March. They might have seemed overvalued, but if you look at the March returns, April returns, even May, if you had just bought this basket. And then my other list, you know, the stocks I own, I don't know if you have it up there, but the actual stocks I own.
0: Uh, my, is that the Howie, Howie portfolio here? Yeah,
1: go to the Howie portfolio, it's a mix of eight to eighty. And stocks that I think are on their way to eight to eighty, mixed with a few spec things that I want to keep an eye on. So a lot of very tiny positions mixed in here, but generally it's 15 major positions. Yeah, I just constantly am fiddling with it, as everybody should if they own individual stocks. But I'm constantly fiddling with it. But my top 10 positions, you know, are McDonald's. Uh, you know, Apple dropped out of the top 10 recently. Uh, Amazon um elastic uh, i'm just looking here google mastercard uh um shopify i think snap is now in my top 10 so it's apple's like you know they kind of move in and out but the top 10 kind of dominate what i have and then i'll have like quarter point positions and stuff speculative stuff that i want to keep an eye on just to make sure track of it yeah. And if they quadruple, like a genetic, the, in the CRISPR space, I can't tell you what that stock's going to be $400 or zero. Yeah, But anybody smart that I talk to is like, got that in their portfolio on the genetic side. So it's a, like a venture capital stock position. You yeah. Know? Oh, sorry. And Peloton's in my top 10. So, so, um, but generally my top 10 positions, I just know the stories inside out and I'm a product user.
0: And do, uh, do you, for some of those top positions, do you kind of add the same amount or do you look to have kind of the same, you know, say it's, you have X amount of money and you you, you want to have those be even positions for your cost base and then you just kind of let them out outperform and that's what decides.
1: Yeah. What I try to your... let them outperform within my risk. So if something gets to 10%, like Apple used to be, it just, yeah. keep it's cost me a fortune. So my own conservativeness has cost me a fortune. Yeah. You know, when but... do you rebalance, but tr- staying true to your risk profile. I, so my thesis around stock market is I get, my wealth is in the private market. So, you know, yep. stock markets to me are not going to change my life. Um, but owning a Robin hood or owning an Etor, you know, investing in those companies will. Yep. So, and Apple did because I owned it for so long, but I mean, I really would have been wealthy if I, instead of every time I sold Apple, I, I bought. Now, would it, it would be 50, 60% of my portfolio. Yeah. And I guess I'm just not wired. I'm not wired to look at my portfolio and see it move that, you know. But in the end, I think the best investors are wired a little, a little differently. And yeah. the reason private markets work, work for me better than public markets is I don't have to look at the price every day. Yeah, and I think if you give people part of the problem with trading is you give people most people and they can see that they can get out on any single day and they're going to do stupid stuff. So, yep. so part of uh, the part of the holy grail of this is, is same thing with your iPhone. The people that master their iPhone can turn it over all the time. Like mine's turned over for the pop. You know what I mean? Yep. Mastering the market is being able to look at it and not trade it's just enjoying. And that's why I like Koi Finn and It's start- like being able to talk to people and not have to pull the trigger is, is, is the ultimate Zen of investing.
0: Just enjoying the process. I, I was want to ask you about how um, being an angel investor has, has impacted the way you invest in, in public equities. And as you said, uh, most of your wealth is, is tied up in, in private companies, but we've heard the famous line from Warren Buffett that he's a, he's a better investor cause he's a business owner and he's a better business owner for an investor. So just curious on, on your take on angel investing and how that has impacted your, how you think about public markets?
1: Um, I mean, it's been nothing but good. You know, I think I've talked more people out of being in hedge funds than I can, I think I've done the world a good service. I do think it's not an honorable, uh, job makes people do dishonorable things uh meaning even if you're honorable it'll it'll bring you to the dark side kind of like going on tv you know before jim cramer went on tv I, I thought it was i thought it was like god's gift to to you know just being able to read that person and tap into their brain right um so you know two things destroy a hedge fund's media you know putting on makeup so you know you're constantly battling the idea of charging people you know, for your ideas. Where I'm at now is just give it away and build goodwill. And, you know, uh, that helps my private investing, that helps build my network. But being an angel investor has really helped me connect the markets, right? Understanding understanding where private valuations are and where public market valuations are, you really start to see how not crazy things are and when things become way too crazy. And sometimes it's just way too crazy in the startup world, not just the public world. So having ability to like focus on the two ends of the spectrum, the most illiquid early stage technology businesses, and then the most liquid, you know, public uh, securities has really given me this, it's hard to explain it to people every day. I write about it every day, but I feel like I have an edge in dissecting how the world is thinking about uh, prices and technology.
0: Yeah. And so talking a little bit about giving back, um, you've got your website, um, howardlinzen.com. You do Momentum Mondays, which you just put one out today. Um, So I subscribe to your newsletter. I think everyone else should as well, um, just for really daily thoughts on the market. But I want to ask you about Panic with Friends. I think you turned Linzanity, your previous podcast, into Panic with Friends kind of at the the start of the whole coronavirus thing. And I listened to, um, I have not listened to all of those episodes, but I listened to a lot of the early ones. One of the ones that stuck out to me was when you talked to Bill Bishop, and you you both you talked about that he really helped us learn about the dynamics of China and the U.S.-China relationship. Just curious, um, you, you talked to Jeff Richards on there. You just mentioned in Twitter that you've got Patrick O'Shaughnessy and I think Chamath coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you have just a couple of takeaways from your experience doing Panic with Friends and how that has kind of helped you as an investor and just mentally get through these last, you know, six, eight months.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of the writing and I guess audio now too, you have to include it's different, different muscle than writing. Writing is the greatest thing that I ever discovered. You know, I'm not, I am not. hated writing in school. I'm not a reader. Uh, I have the intention span of a dummy, um, or we're supposed to be dummies, right? Cause I have a low attention span. Um, but I I wanted to have people on, not the traded, uh, but that had been through panics and what and and what are you supposed to do? And without a doubt, what I'm most proud about is if you look at when we started, it was like from Jim O'Shaughnessy and it was like, okay, it's too late to panic. My whole thinking was if you were going to panic, panic when the VIX is 10, yeah. not when the VIX is 90. Okay. Now we're somewhere in between a 30 and it's very elevated. So I still think we have a bias higher, but like you got to panic when the VIX is, is 10, not 90. And so it was like too late to panic. Let's talk about what to do next. And at least we gave out really level-headed advice that, you know, stop selling and buy something or just move away from your money. Yeah. You know? And, and so it helped me too. like really selfishly. It, it all helped me because you know, the itch is Ooh, You know, Google's at a thousand. Really the temptation is you need to be buying, but it's still overvalued. Like the panic is like, well, this could go to 600, no doubt. But, um, so at some level to be a stock investor, you, if you don't think that a VIX 70, 90 is coming again, you're crazy. So, um, you know, this will give people a frame of reference now in the next panic to go listen to the first few episodes and really remember what panic was like and that the center did hold. Now, if the center doesn't hold, we're all screwed. I don't know what to tell people. You may not be wired to invest if you constantly think the center is not going to hold. And cash is an option.
0: Yeah, and and so um, we're kind of getting close on time here, but um, just just curious on on your thoughts on this whole thing now. We're starting to see the market act up a little bit, some volatility. I think it's most likely a kind of a normal, healthy pullback, but there's a lot of panic out there right now. So just curious if you have any any thoughts on that? And if you think uh, you'll be needing to do panic with friends for another, another year, or if, are we almost done?
1: I think we're done. And if we're doing VIX 90 again, you know, people are think that's coming back and I'm all for people having that debate. If it is, we have bigger problems. So it's not about, does it come back? It's what, how do we react if it does? And the way you would react is like, okay, start planning for that today. Sell something today. you know, because VIX is 30 at 90, we're going to see much lower prices. Um, I still don't think people understand the markets. This is a new market structure we're dealing with. And so the first thing I'm trying to think of is like, why would I ever, I never liked hotels. I never liked transportation stocks. Although transportation is a good index and logistics. There's certain things I never liked. I didn't like Midtown Manhattan for the last 20 years, right? If you were in the tech business, you didn't go to Midtown. So it's like, there's these trends that were already in underway. San Francisco was a shit hole to many a year ago, three years ago. You know there were problems there. So it's like we're just seeing uh, an expansion of the problems. Um, so th- that's not going to get any better, right? So so this move to digital is happening. the The p- hard part to understand here is like who's the sheep? Who's the sucker? Is the sucker like Eastern Asia, as a suck, sucker Africa, as a sucker Mexico, because America's pretty good at distribution. And I think one of the last great rackets we have going is stock and brands and culture. And, and if if everybody in Mexico wants to own Tesla, it's not my fault. Right, the stock's gonna get, we have a supply demand imbalance of great American businesses, and, and most of those just happen to be digital. So if you light up Mexico with a Robin Hood, guess what people are gonna buy there? They're not gonna buy Mexico Cement Company, they're gonna, or Mexican Grocer, or the Mexican Walmart, they're gonna go buy Tesla, Walmart, they're gonna go buy, um, they're not gonna buy JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, they're gonna buy Twilio, and they're gonna buy fucking Facebook, and they're gonna buy Zoom, right? Because that's to them, a brand that's not gonna disappear, right? And so in a world where that's happening, I don't think people really have factored in. And I, as a ground floor investor in Robinhood and eToro and running stock StockTwits and seeing other companies, you know, start their own Robinhoods or get their first crypto or be able to earn interest on their cash and use an app and Venmo and Square Cash uh, and they'll be able to buy their first stock. They're gonna buy an American company. So, so how this fully plays out, I don't know. What we are seeing is smart American venture capitalists starts back, like we'll go buy a brand that we know the rest of the world will love because there's a billion buyers of that stock. And that's how the stock market works is distribution. it Goes from the hands of a few to the hands of many. So, so I'm kind of bullish because we're at the early stage of that, will there be scams galore? Yeah. Um, should buyers be aware? Yeah, huh, never more than today. Um, but does that mean there's not the best opportunities of all time? Yes. Yeah. So you have this incredible opportunity, incredible uh, ways to get involved, like less, low friction ways, Coifin, Robinhood, Cash App, Venmo, uh, Twitter, Telegram, Stock, you know, Reddit to con- communicate to everybody has inside information in this era. Uh, the question is, how do you manage your money? So in that world, super bullish. In the world of like how we where we end up on prices, have no fucking idea. No one does, and so the question is, you know, how do you manage your money within that arena? Is the exciting part, and, and that's just for everybody to do themselves. But there's, you know, it, we're we're in an incredible bull market um, still. I think what March taught us was that this volatility it's going to be back. This was like an earthquake. So I think we're going to have more earthquakes and they may come closer than together. I I can't predict that we could have another 90 VIX, but I don't think a 90 VIX necessarily means a bear market anymore. Right. A 90 VIX may just be, you know, like going up, going up, uh, Everest, people do die. Right. There's more people doing it, even though they know they're going to die. Right? Yeah. There was a lineup on Everest. Right? Lineup to die? I'm licking my chops because I have a network of people around to kind of hone in and try and not lose my cool and try and you know, I'm playing against everybody else. So I like I'm super bullish on that, but I do think people need to be more careful than ever, at least newbies. But at the same time, spend three, four years instead of ten years now, you can learn a lot. So yeah, does that yeah. give you so hopefully that gives you like my overall look at it.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you, Howard. I know we got to get going. So my, kind of summarize my takeaways from this is we're, you know, we're probably in one of the best times ever to be an investor because of the access, because of the information, but the Network, important thing, community. the community, the important thing is that we do our research, which I know you're a big proponent of, and that we behave the right way in order to empower us to be a good investor. So um, that was my takeaways from this conversation. And, uh, Everybody, um, Howard Lindzen, you can follow him on Twitter at Howard Lindzen, L-I-N-D-Z-O-N. And we'll link to all your uh, your podcasts and everything, your website in the show notes. Howard, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just w- like one more thing that because it was a good wrap up there. It's like, you know, it's easy to be disrespectful, right? It's easy to yell at somebody online. But it's also easy to be respectful and build your network. So it's like we have these great tools, you know, do you use them for good or evil? Uh, I, I would really urge people to just, you know, it's so easy to yell and to be anonymous. I would say, listen, there's just such opportunity to be nice, uh, like you do, like we do, and and um, give back and say hello to somebody or say, thanks for that idea. I would say, take the high road on this stuff. It's easy on FinTwit yeah. or whatever, to just scream at somebody and demand, demand, demand. But hey, uh, there's enough of us out there sharing that you can find. And so I would say, you know, pay it forward, be nice. And these, these tools are great and, you know, they're a privilege. So, you know, hopefully, you know, people take advantage of them.
0: Yeah. That's a great note to end on. We should, we should all make a little bit more effort to, to be nice and be, be good, good to others. Yep. Thanks a lot, Howard. It was great. Great talking. Okay. Have a good one. Bye.